Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Proud to be brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Fandom Legends caster, Watsy sponsored streamer this past week, Ethan Sachs. Ethan, what can't you do? The man who needs no introduction. Here I am. I know. You're crushing it. So how was your how was your Watsy featured stream this week? It was pretty fun. So, uh, you know, uh, Wizards of the Coast picks uh, five streamers each week to sponsor. They hook them up with some goodies in terms of gems and pack code giveaways and promote their stream on social media, etc. And so I got chosen for that. I did it on Monday, did a bunch of arena streams in preparation for this episode. But also I'm just kind of I, I, I'm loath to say it, Ben. Legacy Cube is out on MTGO. And I'm playing best of one M20 in my spare time, in my non-stream time. I also have a confession to make. I have voluntarily played Arena the entire week this week. I was supposed to be drafting Magic Online, so we could talk about that for the podcast. I was just too tired, and I Arena was fun. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm enjoying like trying to game the bots and exploit them. And it feels like my favorite deck, which we're going to talk about today, is like always open. But anyway, uh, I had a great week. I got to cast the entire Fandom Legends tournament. So for folks who don't know, uh, twitch.tv slash fandom hosts a $4,000 standard tournament every Thursday. Um, it's 16 people, like MPL members and streamers alike. And I've been doing broadcasting for that for the past few months. And on Thursday, I got to do actually the whole day. So usually I just do the Swiss portion before they cut to the top eight. Um, but I got to do the whole day, which is tiring. It's a lot of talking, like seven hours of uh, broadcasting nonstop. But it's so fun. And I really enjoy getting to do that. So uh, if anyone's interested in that, I know it's a hashtag standard, which we don't talk about here. But uh, if you're interested in that, I would highly recommend checking it out. It's a fun time. Yeah, the few times I've been able to catch it, you have been fantastic on coverage. I've really enjoyed it, even though it is hashtag standard. <laughs> uh, how are you? How was the first week of school? I'm doing good. I'm officially 32 years old as of today. Oh, my God. I know. Happy birthday. Thanks. Yeah, I'm turning into an old man. And wow. first week of school was great. I won, I was running hot. I won a drawing for $100 for a teacher on the first day of school. So starting the year off right. Wow. Must be Must nice. Must be nice. No, no, no exclamation mark why me is for that one. <laughs> yeah. Marching band's underway. Been working hard. We did a mattress fundraiser on Saturday. So it's been busy, busy, busy. Sweet. Well, we are going to be diving into talking about Arena again this week. So there have been two, not one, but two bot updates on Arena since we did our How to Draft Against the Bots episode. So we thought it was important to check in again. And also, we really wanted to talk about my favorite deck, which is the Golgari loop-to-loop decks uh, that you can draft in M20 that are super, super fun. So before we get into any of that, we got some business to check in on. First things first, that trophy leaderboard, any updates? I am still at the same place I was on MTGO. 14 drafts, 33 and 8, 7 trophies, 80% win rate. Maybe I'll just retire that 80% win rate. I don't know. I think that's probably the best thing you could do. <laughs> and then in M20, I've done five new best of one arena drafts. So I've got eight best of one drafts under my belt. 
32 and 16 overall record, four trophies in those eight drafts, and a 66% win rate. And I think we should just note for people's brains that best of one win rates are going to be lower than best of three win rates, right? Because every loss counts against you. So just naturally, yeah. your win rate's going to be about 5 10% lower. I can't believe you're still at a 50% trophying rate there. That's crazy. Yeah, running hot. What can yeah. I say? Yeah, I think at a certain point, we got to say it's not running hot anymore. Uh, so I've done 27 drafts on best of one. I'm 98 and 63. I only have four trophies and I have a 61% win rate. Uh, and I should probably say that I'm not even really soft forcing this black green deck anymore. I'm basically just hard forcing it. Like I've been black green, I don't know, 10 or 11 of my past like 12 or 13 drafts, like only like twice in the past yeah, dozen or so have I not been black green. So I'm, I'm leaning pretty hard on some preferences for, for better Sweet. or worse. Yeah, that's awesome. And worth noting, my record is still not insane because my other drafts on Arena were 0-3-1-3-1-3 and like something else. Yeah, so. yeah. The bots get you sometimes. Sure do. Uh, we also want to make sure that we talk about our Patreon page, Ben. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited. It's a place you can go to give back to the show if you so choose. We're sponsored by StarCityGames.com, but we're also sponsored by you, the listeners via the Patreon. Uh, we want to make sure that everyone gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord. It is the place to be to talk about all things limited strategy 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is popping off. As we say, like as it grows, it does not feel like it gets unwieldy it feels like as it grows it's getting more refined more focused and that is thanks to all of you who join who are so passionate and so driven about getting better at limited so thank you thank you to all of you and we also want to make sure that we shout out our new patrons each and every week that they join so this week we're going to welcome christian mclean michael r michael m scalding hot soup scott george emile chris Claire, ben raleigh and paul thank you thank you thank you we really appreciate your support yeah, cannot say thank you enough. And I think worth shouting out, we had somebody post that they had just joined that it was a little overwhelming in like our suggested channels page. And just a reminder that as you join pinned to our welcome channel, there's a video that Ethan and I made explaining all the channels and how best to use it. And I would just encourage you if you're joining and you're new, just jump in and start posting and start conversations. I feel like the people that get the most out of the discord are the ones that just actively participate. So post, post, post. It's a very kind, welcoming place. Nobody's going to make fun of you or say, what the heck is this opinion about? Like, just generate some discourse and you're going to learn. Yeah. And feel free to reach out to me and Ben and our wonderful, wonderful lieges of limited in the discord, our moderators. Um, they're all there to help you to navigate the discord as best you can. So feel free to reach out to any and all of those folks. As a reminder, Lords of Women is now partnering with Coalesce Apparel and Design, Magic's newest apparel company. And as part of this, we have a gift code for you on their website to get you 10% off your order, which will be good for any apparel on the website, not just the Lords of Limited merchandise. And that code is LOL, all caps, LOL, all caps. I'm hoping my Lords of Limited t-shirt is going to be coming in this week and I want to wear it to school. Ooh, yeah, I'm excited for that. I'm more excited about it arriving in time for GP Vegas than I am uh, for you to get to wear it to school. V Vegas is going to be awesome, dude. Three weeks out. Yeah, can't wait. Uh, so if you are attending GP Vegas or Magic Fest Vegas, I don't know really what the appropriate thing is to call it, but we are doing our first ever live podcast recording. That's going to be Friday, August 23rd at 10 a.m. at the Las Vegas Marriott Hotel. It's just across the street from the convention center where the Magic Fest is. Please show up. We're really excited to do a little live show, do a little live Q&A with folks, and maybe do some draftos afterwards. Come be a part of Lords Illuminate history. Be there, be square. Yeah. So since we did our last bot drafting episode, which was what, two episodes ago now, there have been two updates to the bots. And we just have a few cards that are overdrafted by the bots now. Fairy Miscreant potentially on that list, Ethan? Yeah, so I think before that that was pretty reliable to wheel. So you could you really try and catch all of those if you wanted to. But I haven't been seeing that happen on Arena. I've heard other people say that they haven't been seeing that. And also, more importantly, I haven't seen as many like Fairy Miscreant slash Metropolis Sprite decks as I used to before the, the second update. I have gotten very miscreanted so hard in best of one so many times. I can't tell you the number of times I've been curved out very miscreant, two fairy miscreants on turn two, and then another fairy miscreant or two on turn three. It's been brutal. That's what yeah. several of my losses have been to. Yeah. I mean, it's a really potent start to any game of magic. And it sounds like that's maybe not happening quite as much. That's been my experience. I really haven't seen those decks that much, whereas I felt like 
if I was going on a run, like if I was going on a, a, a four or five, or maybe I would just say if I was going on like a four plus win run with a deck, I was pretty certain I was going to face one fairy miscreant deck along the way. And now that doesn't feel the case. Pattern matchers also getting snapped up a little earlier, as well as Lavakin Brawler, which takes down the potency of that red green deck or maybe even the mono red deck a little bit. And Heart Piercer Bows are maybe getting snapped up a little bit earlier as well. You had one draft where you didn't wheel any. Yeah, I took a Renowned Weaponsmith second because, so I really feel like I need to say this, Ben, you were right. Renowned Weaponsmith plus Heart Piercer Bow is very strong. I had the chance to play with it. I've now played with it a few times, like a couple Weaponsmiths and three bows, and it's just phenomenal. Like just getting to tutor up a couple bows at the start of the game, and then all of your creatures turn into glory bringers, as you said, is a really strong way to win a game of magic. And it feels like it's really good against a lot of different decks because a lot of creatures are pretty small. Um, but I had a deck, uh, I had a draft earlier this week where I took a renowned weaponsmith second. I saw about five or six bows during the draft and only one wield. So I feel like before the update, you could just like guarantee that you were going to get to wheel all the heart piercer bows that got opened. And that wasn't the case that draft. I'm not sure if that's the case every draft, but at least it's been sprinkled into the bots personalities that sometimes I guess they'll take a heart piercer bow. And we've got a list of cards that are underdrafted by the bots as well. And almost all of these are just heavy hitters in this green black clear the mind 2.0 deck that you discovered that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So uh, season of growth is I think at the top of the list of like in terms of how powerful I think the card is versus how highly the bots take it. And also I think a lot of humans are underrating this card. So Season of Growth is the one under green enchantment. Uh, whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you can scry one. And whenever you target a creature you control with a spell, you get to draw a card. Um, this card is very, very powerful, especially in conjunction with Rabid Bite. And we'll talk about it uh, with a, a number of other little combos that it exists in this black green deck in particular. But I think this card is just good, period. You don't need to like build around it or anything. You just need to have creatures in your deck. It's a very good card. So here's the litmus test. Are you playing Season of Growth and taking it fairly highly in a deck that has no ways to trigger it other than creatures? Are you just playing it in a 16 creature deck? with no rabid bites or anything like that? So it's, it's a really hard question to answer. I think the answer is yes, but it's so hard for me to imagine a draft, especially on Arena, where I take this card and I don't just have something. Like, you're going to get a growth cycle or a feral invocation. Like, you're going to be able to have something to put in your deck that allows you to cantrip. And once you have that, I feel really good about it. If I don't have any of those, I'd feel less good. But you'd be surprised at how good getting to chain your creatures together to bin lands at during the like mid to late game is like that just really adds up to effectively drawing cards at some point. Oh, I'm not surprised. I love this card. I'm playing this in any 16 creature deck without any ways to trigger it. And I think one, if you trigger it once, you just feel like you won the lottery and then triggering it past once just feels totally unfair. Uh, yeah. Triggering the draw card, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Woodland Champion is also on this list. This goes late and I think you have to do some work for it. So this is the one under green 2-2. Two, two, uh, and whenever a creature token enters the battlefield under your control, you put a plus minus one counter on it. So there's like some goodies in this format to be able to like really make this thing tick. But at its base level, it's just a two mana 2-2, two, two, which you're, you're going to have to play some number of two drops in this format. And so this is a totally reasonable one to do so. You know, uh, more heavy hitters in this black green deck we're going to talk about. Pulse of Marasa, Gift of Paradise, more fixing, Evolving Wilds slash Dual Lands. I'm surprised at seeing how late these go. This is the real big menace of the format at the moment. So I think before, when we talked about bot drafting a couple weeks ago, we had the Teamer Elementals decks as being like the best and most open and most consistent. Now I feel like that's been sort of ratcheted back a little bit, but Smuggling Goblin goes so, so late. And I have seen so many decks that have like two, three, four of these. I've seen like red black aggro decks with Smuggling Goblin and uh, Audacious Thief, which is really potent and or Blood Burglar, which is really potent because you get to like, it's really hard to race that deck while they're gaining two every time they're cracking in. Like Smuggling Goblin feels like the most egregious thing that the bots are letting go late and that people are taking advantage of right now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think Pulse of Morass is also super good in best of one. So many people are just trying to get you dead, and that six life is so good. It's huge. Yeah, six life is so much. It's so funny. Like, that could be half as much. It could be three life, and it would still be a really good card. Six life just feels, like, totally unreasonable. Yep. Uh, Sage's Road Denizen feels like something that has maybe replaced how late miscreants go. Like, Sage's Road Denizen now feels like it's the blue card that the bots don't care about taking. And so if... This is not something that I'm excited about drafting aggressively. I think it's a 
a plan that's able to be disrupted. But sometimes a draft like just doesn't quite come together and getting four sages or denizens and a bunch of blue creatures can be your route to victory. So just being aware of that, but I don't think you need to prioritize them. Um, Green in general just feels underdrafted at the moment. I think that's the most underdrafted card by the bots. I see super late Rabid Bites, super late Leafkin Druids. I've played against three or four mono green decks in the past two days. So I just think that people are taking advantage of how bonkers late some good green cards go on arena. Yeah, I have not been drafting nearly as much as you, but I have also been feeling that green is crazy open as well in the few drafts I've done. It feels like they've also adjusted white a bit. It doesn't feel like white is terrible. I'm seeing a lot more white opponents. I'm still not happy to draft it. I'm still not looking to draft it. I'm basically hard avoiding it. Um, But I will say that I had a coaching session yesterday with someone who had drafted a blue white deck. Uh, They were 0-2 with it. And then we rattled off seven wins, got the 7-2. Ooh, nice. Their deck was really strong. Uh, The standouts were five of the white catch-em-all card that Ben and I still don't agree on, but they were very good there. bad parts of the deck? Uh, Backed up by Inspired Charge, Inspiring Captain, and Marauder's Axe. Um, And I got to throw this out here. So we were tweaking the deck before, and uh, the guy I was working with said that he thought Gauntlets, he was like, I really want to try and get Gauntlets of Light in this deck. I was like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) And he was like, I'm telling you, this card has been really good and you can get it super late. So Gauntlets of Light is the like high alert enchantment. It's a two and a white aura. You put it on a creature, it gets plus O plus two. It deals combat damage equal to its toughness and you can pay two and a white to untap it. But it's really good in conjunction with Griffin Sentinel in particular. That's the one three vigilance flyer for three. So then that just turns it into a five five vigilance flyer, which is pretty dang good um it's also good with the one three lifelinker for two the chaplain so we did put it in the deck and it was actually pretty good i was like well let's try it out let's see like what how this is going to work based on your experience with it and it was pretty strong so i would just like look out for that sort of stuff he didn't have anything crazy good the thing that pulled him into white was the life chanter loxodon which is one of the things that i think should pull you into white in M20, but there's a short list of those cards. And I do think Life Channer's at the top of that list. Yeah, Gauntlets of Light, I have not cast yet, but it has been very good every time it's been on the battlefield cast against me. It sort of feels like one with the wind power level in Ixalan. Mm-hmm. You have to pick your spots and you can't just necessarily jam it on turn three, depending on what colors you're playing against. But sometimes you know what colors you're playing against. You just jam it on turn three and your opponent's toast. Like, what does a red deck do against a one six Daybreak Chaplain or a one five? Like, yeah. the soonest they're killing that is turn five. Right, they got to get up to reduced ashes. Right. And the vigilance, just making sure you you don't attack into it. That's gotten me a couple times, like being able to untap the creature and have it have it back on blocks as well. So I think Gauntlets of Light is a very real card. It's it's high risk like Aura's, but the power level is definitely there. Yep. That was my experience uh, co-piloting that deck yesterday. All right. We've got an arena bot draft here. A couple of them. We're going to do one now and one later at the end. I literally just did this draft about 10 minutes before we recorded this episode and I have not played any games yet. So Pack one, pick one, you see the following options. Your rare is Field of the Dead, so a clunker there for limited. Thrashing Brontodon, one green green for the 3-4. You can pay one, sacrifice it, destroy target artifact or enchantment. And there's also a pacifism in the pack, one and a white enchant creature, enchanted creature can't attack or block. So not a super deep pack one, pick one here. No, super lame pack. Pretty happy to see a Thrashing Brontodon, though. That card is really powerful. Yeah, I agree. And goes way too late. Again, speaking of green cards that go too late. Yeah. So snap Thrashing Brontodon up here. Moving on to pack one, pick two. See the following cards as options. I think this is a pretty interesting pick here. There's Creeping Trailblazer, red green for the 2-2. Other elementals you control get plus one plus oh. And it has the activated ability to red green. Creeping Trailblazer gets plus one plus one until end of turn for each elemental you control. There's a Meteor Golem, seven mana for the 3-3 when it ETBs destroy target non-land permanent and opponent controls. Another Pacifism and a Boreal Elemental, four and a blue for the 3-4 Flyer. Spells your opponent's cast that target Boreal Elemental get to cost two more to cast. So I think this is pretty interesting in terms of like tracking where we're at with the bot updates because I would say two weeks ago when we recorded our first episode... It would be pretty hard for me to not take Creeping Trailblazer here because of how open the Elementals deck was. That's not really the case anymore. So I'm not really looking at that card. I mean, I'm not very excited to draft red much since the two updates personally. 
So that leads me towards Meteor Golem versus Boreal Elemental. And Meteor Golem is just super strong and it's colorless. I'm not afraid of seven drops in this format. If you do end up in black and you can recur it or cheat it out with a Blood for Bones, it's just a really, really powerful card and I would be happy to take it here. Right. And little to no consideration for pacifism since we're on Arena and you just almost never want to be white on Arena. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I also landed on the Meteor Golem here. And moving on to pack one, pick three, Meteor Golem number two. Ooh. Rapacious Dragon. I know you like that one. Four and a red for the three, three flyer. When Rapacious Dragon enters the battlefield, create two treasure tokens. You know the what the nickname of that card is? No. Scaler of Means. Oh, my God. That's There's it for also- me, folks. <laughs> There's also a rabid bite, one in a green for the sorcery. Target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control. So as much as I like Rapacious Dragon in theory, I really very rarely draft it or play it. Uh, so I think it's between rabid bite and meteor golem here for me. And I would be really happy to start a draft with two meteor golems because I think knowing that I have two really powerful colorless seven drops then can like shape the rest of the draft. I can prioritize Gift of Paradise higher. I can build the deck thinking that I'm going to go 18 lands in mind and that may like sculpt some picks. I just think that there's value in starting off with those two cards and like then drafting your deck towards maximizing them. Renowned Weaponsmith would also go way up in value. Ooh, yeah, of course. God, I always forget that other ability. Renowned Weaponsmith is just a bomb, right? It's a really good card, especially on Arena. Yeah. I was not that ambitious. I went conservatively and I took the first rabid bite over the second meteor golem, but I certainly think you can make a case. And I I thought about that pick for quite a while. Yeah. I mean, I think there's also an argument to what if you don't end up in green? Aren't you going to be happier to have two colorless cards to start? Probably, but I'm pretty happy to start deep in green because of how open green's been. Yeah, especially on arena, especially now. And on MTGO, I think I would take rabid bite there 100% of the time. Ooh, can you tell me why? Because it just feels bad on mtgo like i feel like the decks are somewhat clunkier on arena because of bots and sometimes the drafts don't go super smoothly i feel like on mtgo most people are playing streamlined decks and starting my draft off with two seven drops does not feel great are you just theory crafting here or are you just basing it off of what you're seeing in the discord just what i've seen in the discord i mean i haven't played magic online since you know in two three weeks but yeah, you played I, don't, since I don't know 2018 <laughs> But yeah, just uh, two seven drops feels clunky to me. All right. Moving on to pack one, pick four. You see the following cards as options. There's a Metropolis Sprite, one blue for the one two flyer. You can pay a blue to give it plus one minus one until end of turn. There's Gift of Paradise, two and a green for the Enchant Land. When it ETBs, you gain three life. And that's really it. There's a bunch of clunkers. There's a Vial of Dragonflyer. There's a Vial of Dragonfire. There's a Ripscale Predator. Not much to speak of. Yeah, these packs have been like, there's two cards and then that's it. It's pretty crazy. Uh, yeah, I mean, especially if I had two Meteor Golems, I'd be thrilled to grab the Gift of Paradise. But even with just the one and the two other green cards, I'm happy to grab Gift of Paradise here. Yeah, and, and pretty clear route for the draft so far. And it feels great that you're able to stick to one color. I think that's mm-hmm. super awesome on Arena. I think that's one of the best ways to approach drafting with the bots. Hey, so we've talked about that before, and I feel like we've gotten comments either in Discord or on Twitter. Sometimes I get comments when I'm streaming about that. We say that a lot about how it's really good to be one color on arena how we're really happy about that more so than even i would say when we're drafting uh, against people can you just can you explain why we feel that way yeah i i can i think and maybe you have a different take on it but so on magic online i i feel confident that if i what you always say if i bob and weave and try to find my lane and you know if, if i end up with five cards of five different colors I'm fine on Magic Online because I trust that eventually lanes will present themselves to me and stay open once I find the lane. So that, you know, if I'm in pack one and on the wheel, I discover that red's open, I'm going to trust that red's going to be open in pack three. And that even though it took me a while to find my lane, I'm going to get hooked up in my lane. On Arena, I do not have that same faith at all. And I think correctly so. So that if I start a draft on Arena with five cards of five different colors, I'm really worried about making playables and finding a direction that's going to work and then still be open in pack three. So maybe at the end of pack one, I read that black is open on arena, but I don't trust that on arena black is going to be open in pack three. And we're going to see that in this draft specifically and why it was so important that I got deep into one color in pack one. 
Yeah, I 100% agree with that. That is exactly how I feel as well. I, the person I was coaching with yesterday had a bit of a conspiracy theory that they were wondering if like that arena has a way to like check the power level of your draft at the end of pack two. And if they feel like it's too good or you already have a good deck, then they're just like, cool, we're going to cut your colors in pack three. And that feels that like that's a little tinfoil hat. That happens to me so often, though. Yeah, of course, I don't think that's actually how it works. But like, it's just wild when you're like, oh, wow, green is open entirely in pack one. And then in pack three, it's not at all. You don't see a single green card right and that just i mean every once in a while that'll happen on magic online but it's because somebody opened on a, a bomb and is switching and is making good decisions you know what i mean or is making bad decisions is going to have a bad deck and is derailing your draft a little bit but at least it's real all right so moving on to pack one pick five cards we have in our pile are thrashing brontodon rabid bite meteor golem and gift of paradise just as a quick recap that's a, that's a sexy start to a draft it's a great start to a draft Options pack one, pick five are reduced to ashes, four and a red for the sorcery, deals five damage to target creature. If that creature would die this turn, exile it instead. Mammoth spider, four and a green for the three, five with reach. Another metropolis sprite and a bright wood tracker, three and a green for the two, four, five and a green tap. Look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. I see no reason to derail from green here and not take mammoth spider. Um, I guess I think Metropolis Sprite is the best card in the pack. It's a one of the good two drops in the format. It's evasive. I like it very much, but I see no reason to abandon green for it at this point. Yeah, and I'm just going to kind of round out what went on in this draft here. So pack one, pick six, snapped up an Evolving Wilds out of a pack with no green cards in it. Pretty weak pack. There's a Heart Piercer Bow and a Soul Salvage you could think about. Pack one, pick seven, snapped up a Ferocious Pup, and then really nothing crazy exciting we get a soul salvage on the wheel maybe steering us towards black green potentially and the draft sort of rounded out green continued to be open in pack two i was sort of dipping my toe in black you know got an embodiment of agonies that i took over a moldervine reclamation that's the black rare the flyer death touch that has power and toughness equal to the number of different cmc cards in your graveyard when you cast it i had some filler red and then in pack three ended up opening, no, ended up getting past Chandra Awakened Inferno, pack three, pick two, and was deep enough in green that I thought I could take it and I would get there on green playables and red playables because I had some red, some red filler that I could join along with that. And then green was totally cut in pack three. Didn't see a single green playable card, got enough red that I was able to build a red green deck, but I would not have been able to do that had I not been super deep in green after pack one and pack two. And that's why on arena, you need to try hard to get really deep in one color. Yeah, because you just can't trust the bots. And I do think if you're trying your hardest to win on arena, you know, somebody was asking, I was listening to the latest LR and somebody was asking about, you know, is drafting the hard way viable on arena? I think the answer to that question is no. I think if you're trying, if you're a nuts and bolts spike and you're trying to maximize your win rate on arena, I think you draft differently. I don't think you draft the hard way. And I think the best way to do it is is this, is to try to get deep into one color. And I also think to like go in understanding how to exploit bot tendencies in terms of color preferences or over or underrated cards. Like that's just stuff you can't do when you're drafting against a pot of seven random people. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree that it's it's different and I don't think you should be. I think you are doing yourself a disservice to go in and be like, I'm just going to try and read signals and draft what's open against the bots because you can't really read signals from them. All right. And that brings us to our main topic, which is this sexy, sexy, sexy clear the mind 2.0 deck that you found. Sexy is going to be the word of the stream. Yeah. The word of the <laughs> sexy is going to be the word of the word of the episode. Yeah, that's going to be the one we say like five times each. And then people are going to ask us, what did you mean when you said sexy? <laughs> <laughs> OK, so. Golgari is my most successful archetype on Arena. This is sort of skewed because I'm basically forcing the deck in every draft. But of all my 7x and 6x wins, all but one of them are black-green decks. It's my favorite color pair to draft. I think it's incredibly powerful. And I think since the bot update, since this most recent one, it's really viable now that black is easier to draft and now that green is super open. So if you haven't drafted this deck, I would highly, highly recommend doing so. And you also wrote an article on Cardsphere's block, which you also do. What don't you do? What don't I do? Hey, look, I'm doing a lot of magic stuff these days, Ben. I'm, I'm, I'm deep. I'm deep in it. I'm jealous. Um, so yeah, so I wrote an article for Cardsphere's blog, which I uh, write an article for them every two weeks about this deck and how to draft it. But I think there's so much to talk about it that I really wanted to dive in deeper uh, on the podcast here. So the best versions of this deck and why we're calling it Clear the Mind 2.0. So 
Clear the Mind from Ravnica Allegiance was a card for two and a blue. Target player shuffles their graveyard into the library, and then you draw a card. So if you had two copies of that, you could infinitely loop your graveyard into your library, and you would never deck yourself. And so if you could never deck yourself, all you had to do was worry about not losing, and you would win. Right? You would eventually tire your opponent out of resources, and they would deck. Um, in this version of the deck, it's in black green, and Loaming Shaman is the card you rely on the most to do this. So Loaming Shaman is the uncommon two and a green for a three two. When it enters the battlefield, target player shuffles any number of target cards in from their graveyard into their library. Um, so you get to sort of choose what you want to put back from your graveyard into your deck. So that in combination with other pieces of recursion, and there are so many pieces in this format, and that's why this deck is so viable, you've got Soul Salvage, Blood for Bones, Gravedigger, and Pulse of Marasa, or even a second Loaming Shaman, allows you to then infinitely loop back these cards. So let's say you've got just Loaming Shaman and Soul Salvage. Great. Well, once Loaming Shaman finds its way into your graveyard, you cast Soul Salvage, pick up Loaming Shaman and another creature. Then Loaming Shaman shuffles in any number of cards, including Soul Salvage, back into your deck. And as long as the Shaman finds its way back into your graveyard, by the time you draw Soul Salvage and want to cast it, you can then do that loop again and again and again. So you're never going to run out of resources from your library. All you need to do is not lose and you win. Same thing as the Clear the Mind deck. Yeah. If you don't end up with this loop, right, if you don't end up with Loaming Shaman, because if you end up with Shaman, you, you're you going to end up with one of those pieces of recursion. You'll at least get a Soul Salvage, I have to imagine. But hopefully you'll have enough, uh, a number of recursion spells in your deck that you can pull super far ahead on resources with creatures that have enter the battlefield effect. So you'll see that being a consistent theme. Like if a lot of my cards are two for ones, like Gravedigger or Yarox Fenlurker or... I don't know, Pattern Matcher, Meteor Golem, those sorts of things. As long as I'm getting like two for ones with a lot of my cards, anytime I one for one with my opponent, it feels great because I know that so many things in my deck are two for ones that I'm not worried about pulling. I, I realize that eventually I'll pull ahead so far on resources that I'll be able to win, hopefully. Um, but the, the loop is really the, the best way to win with this deck. So we were talking before the episode and you said you now have a firm no passing Loaming Shaman rule for yourself. Is that because you feel like Loaming Shaman is the key card in the deck? Yes, because the problem with this deck sometimes is you end up with a version where you're like, great, I know that I'm going to get to a state in the game where I can't lose. But then how do you win? Pushing through a board saw with this deck is really tough because you're often going to board saw, right? You're just going to be turtling up behind your high toughness creatures and your spiders and maybe you've got some cards draw or ways to recur creatures, but how are you pushing through to win? And so if I have a Loaming Shaman in my deck, then I have this warm, fuzzy feeling because I know that eventually I'll draw it. Eventually, I know that I can sit behind this wall of creatures until my opponent decks. So that's why I have a firm no passing Loaming Shaman rule at the moment. Right. And I've played against versions of this deck from my opponents that don't have Loaming Shaman, and they've got Moldervine Reclamation on the battlefield. The enchantment, when a creature dies, they draw a card and gain a life. I've decked opponents that have Moldervine Reclamation because they haven't been able to actively attack me and they've drawn too many cards from Moldervine Reclamation was just able to deck them. So Loaming Shaman prevents that. The one thing I don't really have a sense of for this deck yet is how often you see Loaming Shaman and how reliable you can get it on Arena and how late. Can you speak to that at all? Uh, I think it's I think it goes late. I don't know. I don't feel confident about saying like you can wheel it. So I would just take it if you see it. I feel fairly confident in saying if it gets opened at the table, you'll probably see it. I don't think the bots are taking it like lower than pick seven or something. So you should be able to see it most of the time if it's opened. Um, but I will say like of my like my four seven X decks that I have on Arena, only one of them, and they're all black green, but only one of them had Loming Shaman in it. So like you can win with this deck without it. And I don't think you're going to see it every time you're drafting black green. But I think when you do see it, it really adds a potency to the deck that no other card can really replicate. And is it fair to say that the first one is much more important than the second one? Like maybe you could try to wheel the second one? Yeah, you don't need the second one. Again, because I think if you're in black green, you're going to have another piece. You're going to have Soul Salvage at least or Blood for Bones or Gravedigger or Pulse of Marasa because that goes late. So I don't think you need to value the second one that highly. Right. And that makes sense. And there's not really like exile effects or anything for it. Like, you know, there was this weird dichotomy of, of when you could cast Clear the Mind sometimes because maybe it was going to get counterspelled in Ravnica Allegiance. But here, like, I don't really think that's going to be a problem. Like, even if your Loaming Shaman gets countered, it's not going to get exiled. So then you can then soul salvage it back or whatever. Right, right. So what are some cards that pull you into the deck specifically, starting at the rare level? So at the rare level, you know, you're looking at not only just the good black or green rares, a couple 
of cards in particular that make me go, oh, I think these are going to be best in black green. Um, Embodiment of Agonies, that's the one black black death touch creature that enters the battlefield and has power and toughness equal to the different number of converted mana costs in your graveyard. So that card ranges from just being like a three mana one one death touch flyer if there's one thing in your graveyard to late in the game if you get to recur it or if you just draw it top deck it late in the game that's going to be like a five five or a six six flying death touch and that's a real threat that's a real way to win the game it's a real thing your opponent has to deal with um so that's a really strong card in the deck uh gargos i mean that's just a good card in general this is three triple green for the eight seven vigilance hydra spells you control cost four less to cast that's not really important i just had text on that card i had no idea that text yeah. was on there of course classic ben not reading rares and then uh the second piece of text which is is important which i bet ben does know is that whenever uh a creature you control becomes targeted by a spell gargos fights target creature you don't control can confirm i know about that part uh so that card is really really strong it's very strong in conjunction with season of growth because those both want you to run combat tricks and rabid bites and all all that good stuff um so I, i like that card quite a bit there and then a lesser card like this doesn't really pull me into the deck but if i'm sort of gearing towards this deck especially a version of this deck that has gift of paradise then i'm more excited about villas broker of blood which is the eight drop five black 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 for the eight eight flyer you can pay a single black mana to pay two life target creature gets minus one minus one until end of turn and whenever you lose life you draw that many cards but you really want to make sure you have a loaming shaman in your deck before you're running a card like villas because one of the scary things when you land villas is that it could cause you to deck yourself right and then looking forward to the uncommon level there are a bunch of cards here yeah and they all are so good in this deck so moldervine reclamation we already talked about that's the three black green enchantment at uncommon whenever a creature you control dies you draw a card and lose a life i think that's like the most important uncommon engine piece i had a choice the other day between that i think season of growth and uh blood-soaked altar and i landed on moldervine reclamation but i like all three of those cards quite a bit talked about season of growth loaming shaman is the most important piece of this puzzle i would not pass it over anything blood for bones another strong piece of recursion three and a black sorcery sack a creature return a creature from your graveyard to the battlefield and a creature from your graveyard to the, your hand pulse of marasa blood-soaked altar i think this is the best home for this card and i think this card is very good in black green i see a lot of people who watch my stream go oh wow i've never seen this card cast i've never seen it in play it's really strong here um i'm a true believer of this card it's for black black for the artifact you can tap it sack a creature discard a card pay two life to create a five five flying demon creature Howling Giant. I'm not afraid of seven drops in this deck. Meteor Golem's great. Howling Giant's great. That's the 5-5 five, five reach that makes two, two, two wolves when it comes into play. You also want those ETB triggers. Those are very, very good in this deck because you're hopefully going to be recurring stuff and recasting it. And Gravedigger, one of the best cards you can get. A really nice piece of recursion. Three and a black for a 2-2. Two, two. Enters the battlefield. Return a creature from your graveyard to your hand. So I'm looking at this list, and I think one of the other strengths of this deck is that it's got great individual card quality as well. I mean, Loaming Shaman's kind of a clunker if you're not specifically in this deck, and Blood Soaked Altar you have to do some work for, but it's really powerful. The rest of the cards just are good cards, and then all work cohesively towards the same game plan. So the fact that they're pulling their weight on their own and they want you to do the same type of game plan just leads to a really, really strong deck. Right. You're really not playing clunkers in the deck. There are some cards that make you want to play other cards more. Like Season of Growth makes me go, okay, I'm happy to include a number of copies of Blade Brand. But Blade Brand's also just like totally a reasonable card. Sanitarium Skeleton, I think, is one of the, the biggest you know impressive cards in this deck because it just pulls its weight in so many different directions. It's good with Alter. It's good with bone splinters it's good with moldavine reclamation like it's good with gorging vulture because maybe you just mill it and then you find it there it's just got a lot of things that it does very well and works really well with um and it itself is not a really strong card but honestly it's not the worst in this format i would say this is the best sanitarium skeleton has ever been ever yeah i would agree with that for sure I like I think you actively want one to two copies of it in a black green deck and maybe depending on your deck more than that. And then the common level, you know, great removal, murder, siphon, rabid bite, 
Gorging Vulture is a big one uh, to get four cards in your graveyard to start to turn on your soul salvages, maybe get some sanitarium skeleton value. And then Sedge Scorpions on this list as well. I don't think I've cast a Sedge Scorpion yet in this format. Am I missing out? You are missing out. Um, so the 1-1 one, one Death Touchers, Sedge Scorpion, and Vampire of the Dire Moon, that's the black one at Uncommon that also has Lifelink, I think are really important to this deck for a number of reasons. Now, I will say this with a caveat of the more that Renowned Weaponsmith and Heartpiercer Bow decks exist the worse these cards get. And so it, it be aware of that metagame. Like I had three of those in a deck and I was playing earlier today and my opponent cast a renowned weaponsmith and tutored up a bow and I conceded because I was like, there's no way I can win. <laughs> I, have, I have these three and I have an anvil rot raptor in my hand. Like I cannot beat heart piercer bow right now. Um, but if that doesn't exist, if you're not going to run into that a ton, these death touch creatures are really, really strong. They go up in value the more rabid bites you have. And with green being so open, I think you're going to reliably get like one to two rabid bites at least as your removal spells in these decks. And you really want death touch creatures in conjunction with rabid bite. And the rabid bites get better when you have season of growth, yada, yada, yada. Um, the other important thing that these cards do is that, you know, if you're doing this game plan of like, I just want to not die, if you are holding down the ground with these death touchers, it's fine. And you trade them off, and that's totally fine. And then when you are recurring stuff with a soul salvage or a grave digger, it's nice to be able to on turn five, you can go grave digger and redeploy this threat soul salvage. You can redeploy one of the two things you get back immediately. So the fact that they're so cheap and you're not mad about playing them down on turn seven, turn eight, when you are recurring stuff from your graveyard, I think makes them a really, all of that adds up to a card that I'm happy to put in these decks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the deck takes advantage of a lot of cards that are underrated by the bots since the last update. So you're going to see a lot of the cards that we talked about previously that slot really well into here. So Season of Growth is, I think, again, the number one offender here. I don't think the bots value this card at all. I would I hazard a guess that you can wheel it most of the time, but you should probably just be snapping it up most of the time anyway. Uh, Woodland Champion, if you do end up with like a token sub-theme, I think is, is going to be good in your deck. Uh, Yerox Fenlurker, again, I mean, I've, there are people in Discord that do not agree with me. I still stand by this card being uh, quite strong. I like it a lot. Black, black for a 1-1, one, one, enters the battlefield, opponent exiles a card from their hand, and then you can pay two and a black to give it plus and plus one until end of turn. But this less so than before. I think, you know, when we did our episode two weeks ago, I would say that this card would always wheel. I don't think that's the case anymore. Pattern Matcher, same deal. I don't think it wheels all the time anymore, but this is still a card I'm happy to have in a deck. I like Pattern Matcher as just a value ETB card. If I have if I have two pairs of two creatures, like two things that I could get potentially with it, and hopefully those things cost less than four so that I can think about curving into pattern matcher when i have it in my hand then i'm happy to play this card i think it's good i think you're supposed to play it even with just one match really wow okay nice i think so it's i mean hill giant's the fail case it's not right that bad. it's not bad no not at all and hill giant draw a card is insane yes and especially in this deck you can have cool things where like oh no i already have my two things that i've like i already have my two copies of the creature in play or whatever when i draw pattern matcher and then one dies like i had a two thrashing brontodons, sacked one to blow something up, shuffled it back in with Loaming Shaman, cast Pattern Matcher, pulled it out of my deck. Boom. Ooh. Um, and then Rabid Bite and Leafkin Druid are just good cards in this deck. They're just like the two best green commons. And green is pretty open these days, and I think you can get these cards later than you should. So you've talked about the fact that the deck works very cohesively. There's a lot of cards in black and green that are just sort of filler-ish, maybe filler plus-ish, but that in this deck are a lot better than the sum of their parts because they're working towards the overall game plan. So you've got a list of little combos, interaction, some recursion shenanigans that go on in this deck. What's the first one? Okay, so the first thing I'm looking at is disposable creatures, and this is really why Sanitarium Skeleton shines in this deck, and this is why I think Ferocious Pup is really a black green gold card. Like there are some versions of this deck where I'm like, you know, I'm not mad to play Ferocious Pup. Um, there are so many things that care about disposable small creatures like Blood Soaked Altar, like Moldervine Reclamation, and Bone Splinters. Um, so when I've got cards like that, Ferocious Pup becomes a card I'm actively looking for because it's two bodies for Blood Soaked Altar. And then those two bodies matter in terms of like you can recur it with Blood for Bones or Soul Salvage. And so you find ways to use that. And then once you've got Moldervine Reclamation, then you're actively looking for stuff to sacrifice to it, like a Blood for Bones, like a Bone Splinter. So there's a lot of little synergy interactions there that happen when you have uh, those kinds of cards that make the disposable creatures better. 
And Bone Splinters is a card we haven't talked about much. That's the best home for it in this deck, right? And often as a card, you want one to two to three copies of, depending on the, the, the version of your deck. Yeah, I would. I definitely would say so. So you really want a, a bunch of removal in this deck. And Bone Splinters just has such good synergy, and it's so cheap. Now, the fact that Black has been updated and you can get Murders more reliably means you don't need I mean I would be shocked if running three bone splinters is right but definitely one to two and when you have copies of bone splinters then that makes sanitarium skeleton a more valuable pickup for you because that's the best thing to sacrifice to it but also ferocious pup like you're not mad about chucking the zero one wolf at something what about creature token synergies that are going on so this is really just highlighting woodland champion going late on arena and so then if it's going late and if it's in your colors and it's a two drop like can you maximize it and i think the answer is yes again this is once i have those champions then ferocious pup is something i'm not mad about grabbing even you can get the undead servant package i think that's a catch them all that you could get now undead servant is not a card that i'm very excited to play like i said the four drop slot gets clogged in this deck in particular you're playing grave diggers blood for bones agonizing siphon even brightwood trackers sometimes like it's hard to find room for three or four of these but i have seen versions where you have a couple of gorging vultures and you're able to then start self milling to get the undead servants to not be embarrassing on their own and then they create a bunch of tokens and then that pumps up your Woodland Champion, yada, yada, yada. I've even had uh, Woodland Champion be good with Bloodsoaked Altar or if you're splashing for Iron Root Warlord, which is very possible. That's also something that we haven't quite talked about in this deck is that like it's base green and you've got Gift of Paradise and that sometimes just enables you to have Gift of Paradise and take advantage of dual lands and evolving wilds going late and then you just get to splash whatever you want. Yeah, sounds sweet. Season of Growth is on this list as well. We've talked about that a bunch. Really underrated by the bots and humans. Rabbit Bites, Blade Brands, Feral Invocations, all fine cards to include in this deck. Feral Invocation has impressed me in this Ooh, format. Yeah, it's really It's a blowout good. when you land it. Mm-hmm. It's so hard also because I feel like I think about a lot of combat. Like, There's a lot of times when people make fishy attacks in this format, and it's so hard to think about what to play around because I'm like, well, if I double block here, that plays around Feral Invocation. But if I double block here and they have Growth Cycle, then I get blown out. If I double block here and they have Fathom Fleet Cutthroat, I play around it. But if I double block here and they have Blade Brand, I get blown out. Like It's really hard to block effectively when people make these fishy attacks. I agree. The other really awesome thing about Season of Growth in Black Green is that you get filtering in Black Green. Black Green is not supposed to get card filtering, and it's really, really powerful in this deck, especially because you've often got such a high creature count. Yeah, that that like card filtering and then even card advantage if you're, you know, pairing it in tandem with Blade Brand or Rabid Bite or that sort of stuff. If you are getting the draw card off of it, it just feels uh, unreal. It's so strong. Spiders are really important to this deck. And I think it's one of the reasons this deck is viable is because there is so much flying hate in green. Um, the easiest way you lose with this deck is to unanswered flyers. So you need Netcaster Spider, Mammoth Spider, maybe a Plummet. I am not embarrassed to run one copy of Plummet and Best of One in uh, in Best of One on Arena. And I am even willing to give Anvil Rot Raptor the honorary third Spider Award. And uh, sometimes if you don't get there on Spiders, you know you can get a Raptor. You put one of those in your deck. That thing blocks a lot of flyers very effectively. If by honorary third spider, you mean like the NFL version of Mr. Irrelevant, where it's like the last possible card you would ever want, then I'm a, I'm in agreement. Anvil Rot Raptor is bad, right? It's like a D plus. I, I never want to put Anvil Rot Raptor in my deck. I've played Anvil Rot Raptor many, many times, and I'm not mad about it. So I think with Heartpiercer bows running around, isn't this just too big of a liability? I, it depends how much of a metagame share heartpiercer bow weaponsmith has and it's specifically with weaponsmith if people are just jamming heartpiercer bows in their deck god love them but if you have weaponsmith that's the thing that's really powerful because you're not it's not really costing you a card you're you have the opportunity to just draw a weaponsmith early and then tutor up all these copies of bows if you're just playing bows in your deck that's not what you should be doing god loves me because i'm jamming some heartpiercer bows in my deck (laughs) I don't think I feel pretty strongly that that is a poor decision to make. I don't think you just put three copies of Heartpiercer Bow in a black red deck. I I don't know. I think sometimes it's just worth a card. Yeah, I I, I really don't. I don't. I, I think you need to get a little bit more 
sample size and less theory crafting about this. <laughs> Savage. All right, I'll, I'll go. I'll slink back to my corner now. <laughs> the last little pocket of synergy thing I want to talk about for this deck is a life gain sub theme. Um, Bloodthirsty Aerialist and Epicure of Blood can be quite good in this deck. You'll be surprised at how much incidental life gain you have with Agonizing Siphon, Gift of Paradise, the End of the Battlefield Tap Lands, Mold Divine Reclamation, Pulse of Marasa, Gorging Vulture. There's just a ton of ways that this deck gains life consistently and repeatedly that, you know, Epicure of Blood can be a real win condition for you. Bloodthirst Aerialist can get really out of control for your opponent to deal with. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And we've also got cards that are not good in this deck or maybe perform less than you would expect. So Elementals, top of the list, you really don't care about the green elemental like synergy package type deal. I mean, Leafkin Druid is great and you're going to include it, obviously. But past that, you don't really care about elementals. Overgrowth Elemental is basically Barony Vampire for you. Like, think it Crasher, your four drop slot just doesn't want a four three, really. That just because you want to block, like you're you don't want a four power three toughness creature or a four CMC three toughness creature. It's not what you want. Right. Brightwood Tracker. Yeah, I mean, Tracker's fine, but you don't need to prioritize it and you definitely don't want more than one. And I don't, I think the best versions of these decks don't run them. Next on the list is audacious thief. This one, I agree with a hundred percent. This feels like much more of a black red or a black blue card where you've got ways to interact with your opponent's creatures and push it through. You're grinding out card advantage, not by attacking, but by sitting back on the defensive and blocking. Yeah. The one caveat I will give to this is if you have season of growth and then you want to run like a number of blade brands or growth sprout, growth cycles or whatever like then i think audacious thief gets better and then it's like okay now i have other synergy pieces in this deck that make audacious thief better and now it's actively good in this deck but in just like pure grindy i'm trying to not lose versions i don't think you want thief blood burglar also on the list one in a black for the two two and when it attacks if it's your turn it has a lifelink of course it's going to be your turn when it's attacking <laughs> judge <laughs> We had a we were looking at roundtables before this. And we're going to do another roundtable that's specifically like getting into black green. And I don't think it's the one we're going to do. But you had a choice between Blood Burglar and Sanitarium Skeleton pack one pick four. And you landed on Sanitarium Skeleton. And I think that's 100% right. And it took me a little while to get there just to appreciate how good Sanitarium Skeleton is in the format. But I do think that illustrates really how much you want a Sanitarium Skeleton in black. 100%. Last card on this list is Gruesome Scourger. Three black, black for a 3-3 when it enters the battlefield. Deals damage to target player equal to the number of creatures you control. I think because this has such a high ceiling of an ETB effect, you may think like, oh, this deck is all about recurring creatures and taking advantage of enter the battlefield triggers. And so maybe you get to cast this twice, three times in a game, and that's how you win. There's just too much competition at the five drop slot for this card to make your deck, I think. And its floor is a real cost to you. If your goal is to not lose to win, you don't want a card like Gruesome Scourger in your deck. It does, doesn't have a home in the format, right? Isn't it just a bad card? I think so, but I keep seeing people liking it or playing it or picking it, so I don't know. Hmm. We have a list here of cards that are better in this deck than other archetypes. We mostly talked about all of them already. The one card that we have left off this list that I think is important to bring up is Sorcerer of the Fang, and I think Ben's going to push back on me here a little bit, but this is uh, one out of black for a 1-3, and you can pick five and a black tap it to deal two damage to target player this is a very real win condition in this deck you know i talked about when you don't get loaming shaman and you get to that point in the game where you're like well i can't lose but how do i win sorcerer of the fang is your way to win and it's not an embarrassing two drop uh in general like it just like blocks two twos all day whatever it's fine if they want to like use a combat trick to finish it off you're happy with that and it can be a really real win condition if you don't get there on uh on the loops or on like powerful rares yeah i don't love this card i could see it being fine as a one of specifically in black green but anytime my opponent has paid six mana to deal two damage to me i felt pretty good about life and i can see as a win condition if your plan really is to lock up the board and not do anything else, and you think you're going to have trouble closing out the game, including a copy, but I certainly don't think you want multiples. No, I don't think so, unless you have Pattern Matcher. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's my spiel on this deck, Ben. Uh, anything else before we dive into uh, a roundtable here? No, let's get to it. I'm ready to take a seat. All right, so pack one, pick one here. You see the following cards as options. 
There's uh, Chandra's Outrage, two red red for the instant deal, four damage to target creature and two damage to that creature's controller. Then at the uncommon level, we've got a Chandra's Spitfire, two in red for the one three flyer. Whenever an opponent is dealt non-combat damage, Chandra's Spitfire get plus three plus O oh until end of turn. And your rare is Night Pack Ambusher, two green green for a four four with flash. Other wolves and werewolves you control get plus one plus one. And at the beginning of your end step, if you didn't cast a spell this turn, you create a two two green wolf creature token. Yeah, I mean, you're slamming the rare here, but between Outrage and Spitfire, I think Outrage is better. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that, though Spitfire is impressive. I agree. Spitfire has been much better than I thought it would have been at the start of the format, but I would take Night Pack Ambusher here. Yep, that is what I did. Moving on to pack one, pick two. You see the following cards as options. If you wanted to take a green creature, you would take Thicket Crasher, three and a green for a four, three elemental rhino with trample. Zashandra's Embercat, two and red for a 2-2, taps to add red to cast elemental spells or Chandra Planeswalker spells. And that's really about it. This pack is very clunky. Yeah, I'm also Ion Portal of Sanctuary, two and a blue for the artifact, one tap return target creature you control and each aura attached to it to their owner's hands. Activate this ability only during your turn. Portal of Sanctuary has really high upside. I mean, I, I could see taking a flyer on it here, and I think I would over Chandra's Ember Cat, but I think both of those picks are defensible. Thicket Crasher is a four drop, and a non-impactful four drop at that after you started off with a four drop does not feel good here. Portal of Sanctuary is a card that I really like in theory, but I never really find it in my main deck. Like, and maybe it's because I'm not willing to take it at this point. Like, I usually want to make sure I have some stuff that goes with it before taking it as opposed to vice versa. Who are you and what have you done with Ethan Sachs? Look, uh, hey man, I'm building around tons of garbage in this format. <laughs> I just, <laughs> just can't do it with Portal of Sanctuary. Yeah, so I, I think I would take Portal there, but I, I think Shandra's Emmercat is also totally defensible and maybe even correct. Uh, I think it's also important to note that this draft was, I think, certainly before the second update, and I'm not even sure it might have been before the first update. So this is back when Elementals felt like a place you wanted to be. Pack one, pick three. This pack is much better. Best green card here is Silverback Shaman, three green green for the 5-4 trample when it dies draw a card there's griffin protector three and white for the two three flyer whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control it gets plus and plus one until end of turn and agonizing siphon three and a green for the sorcery deal three damage to any target and you gain three life yeah agonizing siphon i think is probably the best card in the pack but since we already have a night pack ambusher and we really want to play it i think i just on arena want to take silverback shaman it's a great card third best green common and i want to jam that in my deck and try to get deeper into green yeah shaman is so good i like that card a lot and that is what i grabbed there moving on to pack one pick four another bit of a clunky pack best green card is greenwood sentinel one on green for the two two with vigilance best red card is i don't know fire elemental three red red for the five four and best card in the pack is angel of vitality two and white for the two two flyer if you would gain life you gain that much life plus one instead and it gets plus two plus two as long as you have 25 or more life. This is where, you know, it's hard to teach people how to do things, right? Because we've been saying get deeper into green, get deeper into green. But the the power level delta between Greenwood Sentinel and Angel of Vitality is so high here. I'm not willing to get deeper into the green enough to take Greenwood Sentinel over Angel of Vitality. So you just have to sort of have a scale and know what the replaceability is of the cards. I mean, if Greenwood Sentinel were Woodland Champion, like probably going to be a 2-2 in your deck, but maybe has some upside, right. you would take that here. But For sure. I think just a 2-2 Vanilla Vigilance Angel of Vitality is going to be better, and you're going to take it and understand that you're probably not playing White and you're probably not playing Angel of Vitality, but if you do, it's worth having taken the flyer on here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, all of those reasons is what led me to take Angel. Pack one, pick five. You've got a Jungle Hollow, the black-green tapped land. Sleep Paralysis, three and a blue for the aura. When it airs the battlefield, tap Enchanted Creature, and Enchanted Creature doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. Raise the Alarm, one and a white for the instant, create two one one white soldier creature tokens. And Kelden Raider, two red red for the four three. When it ETBs, you may discard a card if you do draw a card. Yeah, am I on either Jungle Hollow or Raise the Alarm here? If I were on MTGO, I think I would be much more likely to take Raise the Alarm and try to draft White Green because I feel like White's super underdrafted on MTGO and you're going to get hooked up. I say not having drafted MTGO in <laughs> two or three weeks, but in theory, that's what I would be planning to do. Mm-hmm. But on Arena, I'm a little less excited about that because I think you really need to be heavily incentivized to be white on Arena, like by a rare or a mythic rare. And we just don't have that incentivization yet. So I think I would take Jungle Hollow. 
Yeah, that makes total sense. And that's what I landed on as well. And this is before I'm like hard forcing black green, but now I'm just like fist pumping for Jungle Hollow right now. Pack one, pick six. Ooh, baby. Now we got some options. So there is Scoured Barrens, the white black tap land. There's Sanitarium Skeleton. There's Mammoth Spider. There's Brightwood Tracker. And there's a Season of Growth. Yeah, I think this is boils down to with no black cards yet there's zero consideration for sanitarium skeleton boils down to mammoth spider versus season of growth and already having a five drop in silverback shaman yes we want a mammoth spider but we're not picking it this highly and certainly not over a card as powerful as season of growth so thrilled to jam season of growth here and try to pick up some rabbit bites down the road yeah and like you know it's hard to read signals on arena but there's four green cards in this pack and they're all cards that i would include in decks that i have included in decks so there's something to be said about that. Pack one, pick seven. Uh, much weaker pack here. You've got uh, First Claw, four green green for the seven seven. There's Plummet. And probably the best card in the pack is Metropolis Sprite. One of the blue for the one two flyer. You can pay blue to give it plus one, minus one until end of turn. Yeah, I think, again, the replacement level value between Metropolis Sprite and Vorsh Claw is high enough that I would just take Metropolis Sprite here and be trying to feel out what my second color is. And with the three green cards already, I'm pretty certain on Arena that I'm not abandoning green. I'm going to be green and trying to figure out what my second color is. So happy to snap up on Metropolis Sprite here and maybe be green blue. Yeah. Pack one, pick eight. Now we've got a glut of black cards here. There's Feral Abomination, five and a black for the five, five death touch. Epicure of Blood, four and a black for the four, four. Whenever you gain life, each opponent loses one life. Fathom Fleet Cutthroat, three and a black, three, three. When it enters the battlefield, destroy a target creature and opponent controls that was dealt damage this turn. And Blade Brand, one and a black for the instant target creature, gains death touch until end of turn, draw a card. Yeah, I think having just picked Season of Growth, really thrilled to pick up Blade Brand here and try to maybe get into black green as well. So again, we're green, don't know what else is going on, and trying to feel it out. Mm -hmm. And then we can see what wheels here, pack one, pick nine. There's the option of only green card is natural end and best of one. You're not taking a card like that. There's Griffin Sentinel, two and a white for a one three with flying and vigilance to pair up with your angel of vitality, maybe. And then you have a second copy of Blade Brand as your option. Yeah, I'm thrilled to snap up a second copy of Blade Brand here and hopefully run both of them along with my season of growth. Yeah, this the pack here in pack one rounds out with not very much. Get a growth cycle second to last, which is actually something I'm happy to play because of the season of growth. And then that Natty Heart Piercer bow also. That Natty Heart Piercer bow. Well, that's back in the heyday when you could just get them pick 16, pick 17. They just throw them at you on Arena. Round out the draft here, starting off with a Rabid Bite into a Murder, into another Rabid Bite, into Leafkin Druid. So just like really getting the goods. And then doing something I would never do here. This is the draft. This is pack two, pick five. I've got the choice between Loaming Shaman and Vampire of the Dire Moon. And I can see why I did this. You know, I don't have any recursion pieces and I do have two rabid bites already. So I took the Vampire of the Dire Moon, but no, hashtag never passing Loman Shaman ever, basically. That's funny. Yeah. And so you ended up getting into green black, right? Mm -hmm. And it sort of looks like we were drafting, not we, you, it sort of looks like you were drafting the hard way, you know, if we if we look at that pack one, but not really voluntarily, I would say like the delta between the green cards and the filler card, the cards of other colors that we took was just so high. that I feel like we got forced into taking cards of multiple colors, but that's not really where I want to be on arena. Yeah. And this deck on its face value, I mean, I think the reason it's so good is because we ended up with two season of growths and five ways to trigger it. So three rabid bites and two blade brands. That was why this deck was so powerful. So like this deck isn't really the model of what we were talking about throughout the episode today, but it is a plan B. And it's one of the reasons that the deck is so powerful and why I think Golgari in particular is just so deep and versatile in the format is you have a bunch of routes to a strong draft. And especially on Arena, you're going to be able to find hopefully at least some sort of uncommon engine for the deck, whether it's Season of Growth, whether it's Reclamation, whether it's Blood Soaked Altar or Loaming Shaman. Like there's just a lot of powerful stuff that I think the bots don't love very much that you can get and uh, really maximize in your deck building. Right. And we've got a few logs for more specific black green versions that we outlined in here that I'll put in the show notes where you download the episode as well. So you can check those out. So I think that's a great place to wrap us up. Really excited to go try to draft Clear the Mind 2.0 with some Loaming Shamans, and we'll get the closing started. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. 
If you want to come check us out on Twitch or Twitter, I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. Check us out on Twitter under those same usernames, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. my lords of Luna t-shirt is going to be coming in this week and i want to wear it to school Ooh, get a little uh but aren't you worried you're gonna get questions who's ethan uh maybe <laughs> maybe <coughs> and i'm dead selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. <laughs>